This episode of the Morning Skate is brought to you by Laga Sports. Laga Sports specializes in making 100% custom, fully sublimated uniforms and apparel for a variety of sports, but they're known for the premium quality and creativity of hockey jerseys. They have a one-price, any-design policy. It doesn't matter if you're looking for a simple NHL style or if you're wanting to create jerseys that look like Rebel Fighters from Star Wars. The price will always be the same, and the design of possibilities are endless. Check them out at lagasports.com. That is lagasports.com. L-A-G-A-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com. Own your look, own the game. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Morning Skate. You got Ked here. I'm going solo tonight. Uh, BizDev is freaking out about the Patriots, and we got the draft on tonight. So he'll be uh, locked away for a while now that Tom Brady and Gronk went to Tampa. But I'm here with Lee Elias. I like to call him the Swiss Army Knife of the hockey world. He's done just pretty much about anything that there is. Uh, Lee, thanks for joining. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going great, man. I'll tell you what, you called me and said, hey, let's talk hockey on a podcast. I, I love doing that. So you're doing me a favor by being here. You have a great show, and I appreciate you having me on tonight. Absolutely, man. And, and that, I mean, that's a thing right now, right? There's quarantine. There's really not much going on. There's no hockey on TV <laughs> unless, unless you're a Rangers fan. Of course, they put the Kings-Rangers game, I think it was game five on NBC the other night. That killed me. Yeah. But uh, just yeah, just yeah, nice yeah. to sit down and talk hockey, man. And and I know you got tons of stuff going on in your world right now, whether it be hockey wraparound, yeah. hockey, Game 7 group. Uh, you've written books, which means you probably read a lot. That's pretty badass. <laughs> uh, but let, let's just let's just kind of start with just, like, who you are, man. Like, why do you love hockey? How did you get into hockey? I think that would be, like, the number one thing, right? Yeah, you, know, you want the origin story, like, like the two-minute – origin story you know it's funny i probably got into it like most of the people although i got into it a lot later so when i was about 10 or 11 um i'll just say it was the the uh, early 90s at that time <laughs> and the uh rollerblades had just come out it was this new thing rollerblades the company rollerblade had made this really popular thing the mighty ducks movies were kind of around uh and my mom took me to the mall and she put a pair of rollerblades on me, and I just took off. I, no lessons, nothing. Never seen anybody skate. I could just do it, um, and I loved it. I loved the feeling of skating. So, uh, you know, we'd come back, and I started skating up and down my block. Uh, and then uh, two doors down from me, a youth hockey coach uh, lived there, and he kind of gave me a stick and started playing roller hockey. And within a month, he said, "You need to try out for ice hockey. Um, you know, you're really good at this." Um, so, long story short. Uh, within a matter, within one year, this became my, my life. I was obsessed with it. I mean, it yeah. just, it, anyone who's ever played understands that between the cold breeze in your face or the ice movement beneath your feet or the through right. on the goal, uh, I fell in love with it and uh, it became a passion obsession. Uh, everybody always says people are obsessed with hockey and then we say, oh, it's a passion thing. I just call it passive, which is passion obsession because it's what it is. Um, and then from there, I just I just grew within the game. I never played on the same team twice until I got to college because I was moving up levels every year. Um, I was fortunate to have some really good coaches and some really bad coaches that really kind of teach you either way, no matter how you look at that. 
Um, and I just I just dedicated my youth to that game, and I have no regrets about that. The game has opened up so many doors for me. Um, some of them through triumph, some of them through tragedy, and you know it's it's the journey that I embrace, and I'm still on that journey today. You know, with my mid to late thirties. <laughs> No, and and you mentioned just like if you play hockey, you kind of understand it. it really covers all your senses, right? Because you get yeah. to the rink and you look inside, and there's nothing better than just seeing a fresh like cut ice, man. It, it's like glaring yeah. off. You're like, okay, this is awesome. You got smell. Some people might not like the smell of a hockey rink. That's probably my favorite. It grows on you, man. Right. It grows on you. Like, like everybody says they don't like it, but if you're a hockey player, you you know that smell and you miss it. And I miss it right now. And you know, I'll tell you that. Uh, there's a great quote, and nobody knows who said it. I've never been able to find who said this, but it was, hockey's not something you do, it's something you are. And that made so much sense to me when I heard it. Uh, and, and anyone who loves the game knows that quote is totally yeah. true. No, yeah. And, and, dude, you can go on forever. Like, even taste. Like, I don't drink a lot of water, but there's nothing better than getting back on the bench, dude, and you're gassed, and, and you just slunk the water. <laughs> dude, it tastes like the best thing in the world. It just Hockey just brings so many different elements out, and it's so easy to become obsessed. I love the fact that you dropped the Mighty Ducks movie in reference to rollerblading. Do you think picking up yep. the trash was, like, the most influential rollerblading, like, <laughs> that's ever happened? Like, Because I, I, I know exactly I, what you know, I always wanted to skate through Mall of America, and then I went to Mall of America and realized logistically that would not be a good idea. But, uh, yeah, you know, picking up the trash and just – I remember skating around town in my hockey jersey and just, you know, that that was – it's it's a lifestyle of the past now. I mean, you don't see kids rollerblading too much anymore. But that's also because there's so much access to hockey now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's just the time I grew up in. And uh, I'm from Philadelphia, so uh, you know Flyers were very good in the late '90s into the, the first half of the next decade. And um, you were talking about the Rangers before. I was gonna say I, I know tragedy as a Flyers fan uh, to, to the to the happiness of, of of now 31 other teams in the league. Um, but yeah, it was just you know Eric Lindros was a massive influence on my life at the time. You know, like that's the that's the time period I grew up in, and you know that my innocence and. Like I said, when I got to college and then post-college playing and coaching and everything else I've done, it's just the, the, I, I have been so blessed to be surrounded by good people and this game for most of my life. Uh, and I really mean that because it's gifted me so much in terms of lessons learned, opportunity, uh, friendships, uh, and, and, you know, again, triumphs and tragedies, championships and the heartbreaking moments in overtime, you know, it's really crafted me into the person that I am in terms of experience, you know, and then again, the people I can't talk enough about, you know, I've been around some really influential people that have really helped me. Yeah. And, and we'll get more into the whole media side in terms of like business in a little bit, but sticking just yeah. with like the sports side, like obviously you, you, like you grew up, you played hockey, you've coached hockey. I guess my question for you is like, if you could do one or the other, what one are you picking? Cause like, obviously as a hockey player, you love playing it. <laughs> I coached, yeah. I coached a couple semesters club hockey at Cortland and that was a lot of fun, dude. Like it, you missed yeah. the actual being on the ice and like participating in hitting and stuff, but it's really cool being able to like almost mold people into a team, get people to recognize that there are roles, like buy into your role. Yeah. This is a five man unit. Let's go. And, and the moment that that happens, you get like this feeling that you've never really felt before. Right. Because like you've never done it. And then you, as soon as you get it, it's intoxicating. So like coaching or playing, what one would you pick? Man, that's a near impossible question to answer, but I'll try. I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I, I love coaching. I really do. 
but uh, I would always rather play than coach. And, and I want you to know, understand again, I'm saying that I love to coach. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really been a calling for me. Uh, here's the truth about it is I still play. I still play in adult league. I still play open hockey all the time. But playing at a peak level is not something you get to do forever. Um, yeah. It's a really short amount of time, right? You get a short amount of time to really play the game at, at a top competitive level. If you're lucky, you get that short amount of time. And um, I... I, I don't, I don't, I'm not one who lives in the past, so I don't like to say, like, I miss it. I mean, I do, but it's like, I'm, I'm not, I don't sit around my house, you know, just thinking about the days I played and wishing I could go back. But I, I love to play hockey to this day. I mean, I love it. In fact, uh, here's a cool, like, memory for you right now. You know, my son is six years old, and I just started taking him on the ice. I'm actually looking at a picture of him in me right now. Um, but to be able to skate with my son, um, you know, in, in full gear playing hockey, that's been unbelievable. You know, so um, I, I guess I'm very much about living in the moment. But, I, yeah, I mean, if you if you ask me, if, if you told me I could go back and be 27 again and, and, and play or coach, it'd be playing. At my current age, it's probably coaching just because I don't want to yeah. break my back again and <laughs> right. you know, all those other things that come with it. But as you said, they're both amazing experiences, but they really are different. Um, they're similar, but they're different, right? No, a hundred percent. And and even more different is you got to coach over in England. And I did. I, I'm, I'm yeah. assuming a lot of people who are listening to this podcast don't really know a lot about hockey over there. Like, I feel like we're kind of more like an American Canadian NHL kind of thing. What's the hockey like over there? Is it pretty decent? Like what, what uh, would you compare to over yes. here? Yeah. So uh, here's the thing. I was going to say to you, if people don't know hockey in England, you will, because, uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people, England qualified for the top level of the world uh, championships the last two years. So they were actually, they're playing against Canada and the USA starting last year. So they're what I would call an emerging hockey nation, right? Cool. So there's uh, there's a pro league over there called the Elite League, which is easily at a at ECHL, almost AHL level. Um, former NHL players have played in that league. I mean, it's very good hockey. Um, the level below that it was called the English Premier League when I coached there. Um, was very similar to the SPHL, ECHL level. Okay. So, um, yes, there is hockey in England professionally. Two, it is much better than you would think. It's not it's not throwaway hockey. Um, some of these guys have real potential. Uh, uh, Liam Kirk, who was drafted by the Arizona Coyotes, is playing yep. Peterborough. Yeah, so, like, this is a country that's really just coming to the forefront. Um, it's not far off from where France was, like, 10 years ago, where people like, France has hockey? And, you know, all of a sudden, Belmar's in the NHL and – you know, you have these other guys. So, uh, yeah, it's really uh, at a high level. And it was a real awesome experience being even part of that emergence um, because I was there right at the cusp of right when they advanced to that world championship. So, I mean, I would assume that England's number one sport would be football or soccer or whatever. Yeah, no, where, no, you, where, you said where, it right. <laughs> where, uh, where's hockey on that realm? Oh, see, that, that's the fun story. So, so hockey is... And, and uh, it's drastically underappreciated. Okay, so uh, if you're Canadian, if you're Canadian listening to this, hockey's your number one thing. It's everything. If you're an American, we're, we're considered one of the big four, even though we're kind of more like a fifth one. Yeah. Uh, but Americans are always kind of fighting for a little bit more prominence. In England, people almost that don't aren't in the game think of it as, a, as somewhat of a, a joke. Um, in fact, when England qualified for the World Championship. The BBC ran a top 10 sporting moments of the year, and they left it off. Um, and, and that's a major deal when you qualify for the world championship. It's yeah. not a small thing. Yeah. And it, it just skipped the mind of BBC sports. They just didn't think about it. 
the funny part was the backlash they got from that from every hockey fan in England, which is a massive yeah. fan base. I'll tell you, the fans over there are just as passionate as the fans over here. Um, you know, it, it, the hockey family there was so familiar to me because it was hockey, right? Uh, but yeah, again, a little bit different. But I, I mean, it's probably the sixth, seventh sport, but it's one of the fastest growing sports over there. But yeah, it's football slash soccer. Like I said, you said it right. And you got things like, you know, rugby and crickets. And, and there's a lot of other team sports over there that people watch. Um, did you ever, you ever see the movie uh, Green Street Hooligans? It's so like with the, it's one of like Elijah Wood. He was like, first his son, mate. He was his son. <laughs> yeah, of course I've seen that movie. Yeah. Unreal movie. They had like firms like following like these like uh, football teams around. Is there anything like that in the yeah. hockey world? Like, are there hardcore hockey fans there that are like? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, so here's the funny thing about England. I always like to tell people this, right? So, and this goes for all sports, but also hockey. So nobody in England seems to realize how large the United States is and a lot of people in the United States don't seem to understand how small England is you know so in you know the United Kingdom it's not just England the United Kingdom from the, the very top of, of Scotland to the very bottom like Isle of Wight lower part of England is a, like completely maybe a 15 hour drive right and like like in terms of habitable areas it's really like eight or nine hours you know mm -hmm. and then and that's 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 more than east to west Right. If you yeah. go to Wales to the other side, it's not even that. So um, I always tell people the comparison would be this. If you were to put all 32 NHL teams or all 32 NFL teams into four East Coast states, that's England. <laughs> all right. And like that, that's how small it is. Right. So I always say this to people like, like you know, I, and I grew up in the Northeast where there's a lot of hockey teams. We hate each other already. You know, the rest of the league is pretty spread out. Can you imagine the whole league? being in a really small area that you can drive everywhere, you're going to have a lot of animosity there. So what's cool about the Ice Hockey League is it's like that, but there's also a mutual respect, I find, in that league between that because everyone's fighting for hockey to be bigger over there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you'd get things like chance at games. I remember that, uh, you know, I'm not going to do it, but in the, I, play, I coached in Peterborough, and the team is called the Phantoms. They used to go, we are Phantoms, Barmy Army, like every game, and like the banging on the drums and – um, other things too, like there's players of the game afterwards and there's a lot of handshaking after every game. It's, it's different formalities, which I, it was cool. And it's also weird to hear a different national anthem. It's not the American or the Canadian national anthem. It's God save yeah. the queen before every game. I was found that pretty interesting. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Fans are crazy, man. And, and in a good way, in a good way. No, and it's kind of cool. Cause like it may, maybe not even England, but like you see a lot of European, um, like goals going viral. And like, I think that's like where one of the, uh, the clap things came from. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was a different sport. But, like, I just know that they are just so passionate over there and they just love their yeah. shit. That's pretty yeah, cool. Like so it's different culture. Totally different culture. You know, here's a cool one for you. The also, international hockey. Uh, do you know what the CHL is? Uh, yes. What the fuck is it? Yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. It's Champions Hockey League, right? So what happens is around Europe and England, the champion team from every league, so the champion team from England, from, you know, the Czech, Czech Republic, the, Sweden, whatever, Norway, it doesn't matter. All the champions from all around Europe come together in this tournament-style league at the end of the season or during the season. So all the champions play each other throughout Europe. I and mean, that, that's amazing. It's an it's amazing tournament. I remember uh, when I was over there, Nottingham got in there a few times. It's just... It's funny to watch the world fight. I mean, totally different type of atmosphere. I thought that was amazing. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like no, that's no, the no, cool no. thing about Europe and, and 
Be- no, and that's cool because we don't really get like international play anymore now that like the Olympics yeah, are kind yeah. of done, especially in the United States. Like we had that World Cup of Hockey, which was pretty awesome, but like we don't yeah. really get, like get that type of stuff. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, you coached the Peterborough Phantoms. What was it like doing that? That would have been pretty cool. Oh, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. So um, I, I was an assistant coach there from 2014 to 2016, which is that's the year we left. So I was over there because my wife served in the U.S. Air Force. Um, so we were stationed in England, and I was lucky enough to get uh, work with this team. And uh, the head coach of the team's name was Slava Kulikov. And I remember this because he played professional for a long time. Um, he's Ukrainian-Russian. And when I was there in 2015, we ended up winning the um, – uh, Premier League championship, playoff championship, which, so within a one-year period, I, I had my first child born, Logan, my son, and we won this championship. So it was a pretty good year. Uh, a big the, year. The thing that I joke about, it was amazing. Yeah, it was one of the best years of my life. Um, I would say that, like, you know, my, my kids being born was the best days of my life, uh, followed by marrying my wife. Uh, but winning that championship is like a top five moment yeah. for sure. Um, what was interesting about it is as an American in England, so an American coach and English guy, as I was a skill development coach, assistant coach, and team bonding coach all in one. And the two coaches I'm coaching with are both Russians. And Slava's father played on the uh, USSR B team in 1980. So all Pretty of good. a sudden, like the greatest story that I have in hockey, I can't use because I don't want to insult his father. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't want to bring up the 1980 miracle team because it's not a good memory for them, right? Um, so I had to find different ways of motivating the team without using that. But I'll tell you this. Um, we had an incredible group of, of players, staff, coaches. Um, we all bonded together so tight. I mean, it became a family. And the cool thing about that team was before we took over, they were second to last in the league. They were one of the worst teams in the league. Everyone wrote them off for the season that we were starting out. Um, we brought in some really good people. We came together and we just kind of spit in the face of the league and said, you know, we're going to go win this thing. And we did. And I remember uh, the moment of victory. We had three brothers on that team, the Ferrara brothers. In fact, uh, Luke Ferrara, one of the kids I coached, kid, right? He's not a kid anymore. was actually the leading goal scorer in the elite league, the top level over there last year. First British player ever to do that. No That's way. a name you want to remember out there. Yeah, and his two brothers just retired actually after this year. Uh, but that was it was surreal, amazing experience. And look, anytime – this goes back to the question you asked me about coaching because I really do love coaching. Anytime I get to be part of a team environment that achieves something together like that, it's special. You know, and some people have trophies in their office or in their house. I don't keep any trophies. It's just not what's important to me. But I have, I'm looking around my office right now. I have pictures of every team I've ever won with or accomplished something with. Like, those are my trophies. Right. Um, and that was a, a surreal experience. Again, the, the group of people was such a high quality, you know, and that's really one of the reasons that we won outside the skill and the tactics, you know, it was just, we were a family. And like, you know, that's a concept that never leaves. It's, it's just so true of everything. I do a lot of work and you said, we'll get to that later in that realm, you know, bringing teams together. So that was a team that really fortified that uh, meeting of the bond to me. And I was, I'm so happy and blessed to have been able to do that for a few years and, and continue so, to do it today. So you're, it seems like you're, you bring, it seems like you bring the boys together, right? Like you help form that bond. Like I remember growing up, like, almost like every favorite weekend I have for each hockey team was the weekend. Like the boys went and did something like the coaches made us go do some sort of team bonding activity. And it was always yeah. the 
Like, I think that's such an underutilized thing, especially in, like, youth hockey programs and even up into high school levels. Because, like, we only did it a couple times, but we loved it. And, and it was something that yeah. it got us away from our house and it got us away from the rink. And, like, we really got to understand, like, who we were going to battle with, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. What would – I guess, like, what's the biggest – because I've, I've been in locker rooms where there's absolute cancers, right? And that's the worst. Oh, yeah. Every, everybody yeah. just wants yeah. to play. And have you ever encountered something along those lines where you're trying to bring the team together – and if so, how do you go about dealing with something like that? Because I think that's a good question. People who are listening to the podcast, if you still play hockey, like, yeah. pretty much every team you're on, there's at least one or two kids that suck. And it's like, Jesus Christ, like, bring your <laughs> attitude yeah. to the ring. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're not, yeah. they just didn't buy in. So how do you get people to buy in that are like that? Yeah, that, that is a great question. Uh, and, and again, something that in my professional work, I really do specialize in, as you alluded to. Um, and, you know, here's, here's a few things on that. Number one is, I'll tell you this, it's very easy to bond a team together. It is. I can get any team bonded together for a day. Uh, keeping them bonded, maintaining that bond is actually the real challenge. It's the hard part. Things happen, right? Like you said, things happen. People do bad things. Sometimes people lose things. And I'll tell you the key word here to making any team bond work. It's trust. All right. Uh, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can you define the word trust without using trust in the definition? I define the word trust without using trust in the definition. I would I would say having the respect, giving and receive giving the respect to somebody and receiving the equal amount of respect for me would be kind of like trust. I know it's not trust, but like sure. for me in my terms, like if somebody's gonna respect me, I'm gonna respect them, and then we have that form of just like okay, there it is. Yeah, so that's actually a really good answer, great job. You know, and, and here's what I'll tell you. It seems like it should be something that's easier to define, right? Oh, like when yeah. I say it to you, you know what it is, yeah. right? You know what it is. But this is the truth about trust is that it is the fundamental element of any successful relationship, whether that be on a hockey team with a boyfriend, whatever, right? Um, and every single person you meet has a different version or definition of that word. So, for example, that was a really good definition you, you give, you know, you gave, excuse me. I, uh, I work with some inner city kids on a football team that I help coach. Uh, who are surrounded by uh, murder. They're surrounded, most of them have one parent, if they have a parent at home, and extreme poverty, right? Yeah. So their definition of that word is a little different than probably you and me. That's okay, right? right? A lot of this comes from upbringing, a lot of this comes from the situation. So when you take 22 people and put them in a room together and just expect them all to know what that means, that's, that's an unrealistic expectation, right? You're setting yourself up for failure. So one of the first things that I do with the team, whether it's mid-season, late-season, early-season, <laughs> I do what I just did with you. I want everyone to define what that word means to them. And then I want to make a communal definition for the team. And on this team, this is what trust means. So they understand it. Because here's the deal. Without trust, there's really no point to continue, right? Like You've never had a great relationship with someone you didn't trust. You're always looking over your shoulder or there's that, that, that sinking feeling in your stomach that someone's going to get screwed over. Um, and right. that's it's also slightly the definition of, of having a cancer on a team, Right. So no, you first thing it. I do is establish. Yeah. yeah. No. And, and then, because I'm thinking of like the teams that I'm on, that I've been on where like kids weren't necessarily buying in or whatever, and I'm asking myself like, would I trust that person? And absolutely not. <laughs> like, like no, I like I no that yeah. And if it's not there with you, it's not there with someone else. So exactly. that's the first thing. Now, the, the, the second half of this, I'll keep it short because there's like a, there's a whole step process to this, but. This is the other thing, is that if you can get the team bonded, and there's a lot of ways to do that, and there's a lot of words like accountability and lots of things that go into that, but if you can get a team bonded or a large part of the group bonded, um, it gives cancers on the team a decision. 
you either have to become part of that bond or the bonded players are going to remove you from the team because you will not be able to survive if you've been shunned from that bond. So I tell people is that, yeah, exactly. It's a great, that's a great word for using there. You know, like the thing is, is that what happens when there's a cancer on the team, most players don't say anything. And I'm not saying, I, I've, I've always said this, you should never rat a teammate out. Like unless, unless their life's in danger or something like that. Yeah. You know, you don't try to say, but like, like I'm not talking about ratting out a player, but form a bond, get together and invite them in. Like the easy thing to do is to kick someone off a team I mean, as a coach, right? Just yeah. kick them off. It'll make my life easier. I challenge coaches and players, don't do the easy thing. Try and incorporate them in your body. You don't know what that person's going through. They, they might be, they've just lost someone in their life. You don't know. Um, you know, but try and incorporate them. And if they can't be incorporated into the bond, into that trust circle, then yeah, maybe maybe they do need to leave. But usually I find that if there's a bond, those players will remove themselves. <laughs> you know, you don't have to do anything for the situation. But it all comes back to trust, man, with everything that I do, whether it's sports, coaching, business, everything. Like, like it, it's all about trust to me. So, you know, that's the key takeaway I, I would give you is that if that doesn't exist, you're setting yourself up for failure right away. No. And I, I like that. I never really thought of it that way, but it makes complete sense. Like it, it trust, respect, accountability. Like I feel like all of them kind of fall under the same realm and you're right. Like as a yeah. coach, it's probably, it's probably easier to get rid of somebody, right? There's one last headache, but if you can get through that and you can bring yeah. in that who was like that into that group, that's when I think special yeah. things are, Form, right like that's when teams really really start gelling yeah i mean you, you talked about respect i mean which is a really great word i mean here's the thing like when you think about the teams you've won on and i think about the teams that i've won with right um there there might have been players i didn't like but i respected them right like it's very rare you're gonna like everybody on the team it does happen but i've never won with a team and thought man i really hate that guy yeah. <laughs> you know oh, what i mean yeah. like there was a there's a mutual respect it might be i don't like that guy the way he lives his life but hey i respect he's working his butt off yeah. You know, so so that, that's the key is like, you know, you don't there's a difference between liking someone and respect. And you said that before. Right. It's 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 really important that you understand that, like, is, is that person giving their all? And look, all this goes back to the military for me. I've, I've been a military kind of buff my whole life. I'm, I'm a big fan. I think the military is the best team on the planet when it comes yeah. to all this stuff. And, you know, I'll tell you this really quick story. I remember I was talking to a, a combat controller one time. And I asked him, uh, and, and this is not something you should normally do. I was in a position, he was kind of talking to me about his, his time in the military. And I asked him, I said, how, like, how, do you, how do you go on the battlefield, man, when they're firing guns at you and stuff? Like, how do you do that? And he said two things. I'll never forget these two things. They, they impacted me, like, between the eyes. The first thing he said to me was, anyone who tells you that they were in a battle and wasn't scared is full of crap and they were never in a battle. <laughs> I thought that was pretty poignant, right? And the second thing he said really struck me. And he says, it's real simple, Lee. He goes, I just assume I'm going to get killed every time I go out there, and I try and save the soldier next to me. And every single one of us does that. And I thought to myself when he told me that, that was eye-opening, that this yeah. guy's really accepted he's, he might die. He's not might die, he's going to die. And that his job is to save his soldiers next to him. And when you equate that to sport where, you know, nobody dies, yeah. you know, it's like if they can do that for each other on a battlefield, how come we can't do that on the ice, right. right? Just know that the guy next to me is doing everything we can to win. Even if he puts the puck in his own net by accident, you know, I know he's doing everything he can to win. Yeah. By the way, that would suck. Don't do that. But, you know, right. just that was the uh, that was the mentality. And, it, you know, it gets really easy to build bonds or to understand teamwork when you look at the military, when it's like, you know, sacrifice in hockey is jumping in front of the puck. Sacrifice in the military is a totally different thing. Right. You know what I mean, so I, I really have a, a balance and a, and a anchor on those two things when I when I coach, and it keeps me centered all the time. 
Dude, that's incredible. Like every time I went to battle, I was assuming I was going to die, but I was going to make sure my buddy was all right. Like that yeah. goosebumps, Change literal goosebumps. I'm a big scary yeah. guy too, dude. Like I fucking love that shit. Like those guys are the most badass <laughs> on the planet and it's not even a question. Uh, wow. I'll remember that one forever. I like that a lot. Maybe yeah, we're going to, happy to share. Call of Duty later tonight. Maybe I'll have to tell the boys, pump them up when we're in the ship. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but listen, after- I know I'm going to respawn, but. <laughs> <laughs> I <didn't- laughs> yeah. So uh, after the Phantoms, what do you do? Wow, geez, that's another loaded question. So um, when <laughs> yeah. I was, it was kind of during the Phantoms and after the Phantoms, but, you know, one of the things I was able to do um, while my wife was serving was I went to grad school um, for sports management at Drexel University. Um, I wrote a book about, um, I've written two books, but one of them was about how to build a fan base, uh, based on social media and kind of connecting with those people instead of just talking at those people. Um, I wrote a book about the team bond that I talked to you about, um, which is like my personal coaching philosophy, um, which I'm really proud of. Not, not the book, just that I was able to get that on paper and share that with people. Like that, that's really something wonderful. It's, 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 it's a belief I really want to share with people. And um, but when we were starting to look like, yeah, there's that too. I mean, like, like writing a book is not an easy thing to do, but I'll, I'll tell you, like, again, it's, it's like anything, right? I had a good team with me that helped me out, you know, like, like nothing I've ever accomplished, I've done alone. <laughs> nothing. Like, I've always had a great team with me. And like, that is the key. And like, and yes, the team bonding stuff totally is implemented in everything that we do. Uh, but like I said, like, like, there's I've never anything I've done on myself. I think that's, that's a that's real quick, like a good lesson for people too, because I know a lot of people think I got to do it myself. It's like, like no one ever accomplished anything by themselves. You, you can play things close to the chest, but fill, surround yourself with good people and good things will happen. But um, when I was leaving, getting ready to leave England, um, we had this idea about a thing to put on the bottom of a hockey stick um, that would protect the stick when you're playing outside because we had these $300 ice hockey sticks and people go outside and rip it on. So um, we were working with a group of people and the th- this thing called the hockey wraparound came up. <laughs> Right, which would which would completely change my life over the next five years. Um, but long story short, we kind of created a prototype. We started selling a steel version of a product. You put it again. You put it right on the blade of your hockey stick. You could play with that ice hockey stick outside. And um, we evolved it and evolved it and evolved it. And, uh, there was another uh, male military spouse because we do exist. I always say that um, named Matt Eastman, um, who is uh, my best friend and like an older brother to me, only because he's older. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he's very entrepreneurial in engineering. And he said to me, like, hey, what if we built a plastic version of this? You know, and I remember thinking, I don't know if we could do that. So we worked for a year, a whole year daily engineering this thing. And we made it. And like I said, I can't give the secrets behind that. Uh, but, but we made it. And that completely revolutionized the product. And from within three years, we were a globally sold product, right, um, around the world. Um, and that company really started a, uh, a series of entrepreneurial adventures for me where I started multiple businesses, uh, but it all linked back to that. And the thing is that, yes, it's a product, yes, it's a business, but the outreach we've been able to do, I mean, the whole goal of Wraparound is to make the game more accessible. So whether we've been donating them to third world countries or, you know, right now, actually, during this COVID-19 situation, we've been giving one away for free every single day uh, with with people just sending us videos of them playing outside. We do this thing called Hockey Never Stops. It's a hashtag. Uh, and we say, send us a video of you playing outside. I don't care if you have a wraparound or not. Every day we're going to pick a winner and we're going to give a wraparound away. And, like, the audience has really responded to that. But 
these people that we speak to really know that like, look, we're players, we're coaches, we're people in the game, you know, and, and we've created this product. And um, again, we have a great team behind, behind wraparound, right? And again, from wraparound, we had, we love hockey spawned from that uh, game seven group, which is a company that houses my book spawned from that, but it all started with that um, hockey company. And it's been amazing really traveling the world with it. I don't know, I don't know how else to say it. I, I can't believe I'm saying that now. It seems kind of silly, but that's the truth. It's really afforded us the opportunity to do that. No, and that's awesome. I, pretty much every person that comes on here, I always ask them the same question. Like, what was the moment where you really knew you had something? Because I feel like everybody kind of has that moment. We've had a few guests on the podcast or like a few retweets, like uh, an event. We've had moments where it, you can see yourself gradually going, but what was that like first one? Do you remember it? Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I, here's the thing. I've had this moment many times. I, I always look for myself to say something like this. Like, man, I wish I had that when I was a kid. Okay. If I say that to myself, I stop whatever I'm doing and really analyze, like, why did I just say that? The other statement that I look for is, man, there's got to be an easier way to do this. <laughs> if, I, if one of those two thoughts go through my head, I stop what I'm doing and I really analyze it. So I remember when we, we, we kind of first designed this thing, and it goes back all the way to my youth. And this is what's funny about like the story I told you before is I used to, in the 90s, I, my dad took me to the hardware store and we got this big piece of sheet metal. Okay, so there, there are no hockey training aid companies back at this time period. There's barely any internet. And he took me to the, the store. We got the big piece of sheet metal and WD-40 and we sprayed it up, got a bunch of pucks and I, I, had, the, I had a shooting tile, right? Like, and I used to shoot on my, my driveway with that. Right. Um, because I could I could shoot pucks from anywhere with this, right? It's really early on artificial ice. <laughs> All right, yeah. it was very loud, it was very clunky, it was very heavy. I'll tell you that right now. It never would it never would be a product you'd want to buy. Um, but the first wraparound was made of steel, and I remember the first time I saw it on a stick, I, I had that. Where was this when I was younger? This would have been so much yeah. easier, right? Yeah. And that was I said, there's something here. I still tease Matt, the guy I mentioned earlier, because I remember him saying like, well, this will never be like a, a business. <laughs> I hope he's listening to this. This will never be like a full. We'll, we'll never live off this. I remember thinking like, I don't know, man. I got a feeling about this one, yeah. you know. And, uh, and I, I got to say this again. I never wraparound would never be where it's at without Matt uh, being by my side the whole way. Uh, and he, he, like I said, I, I, I'm on here right now. I'm talking. I know people listen to me, but I I can't stress enough how much of a team team effort this has been. No, yeah, went that. I mean, same here. Like Biz Dev has done a really, really good job since he's hopped on full time. And my buddy Hal, who uh, he lives in Maine, he's normally the co-host. Uh, I mean, he's he's missed some podcasts, but just like the consistency yeah. and the coolest thing about like doing this, and I feel like you probably feel the same way. Like some days it can get a little bit overwhelming, I guess. But for the most part, there's never any time I'm doing something with this where I'm like, oh, I have to do this. Yeah. Like. Every time i do this i'm like okay fuck yeah like what do we have going on right now like we have a podcast today i have to write yeah. this blog like yeah. you always have that fire and i think as long as that fire is there and you have good people around you that's like a recipe for success absolutely and look, i'll tell you this like that flame was in me when i was 10 and it hasn't gone out since and i'll tell you that uh people will try and put it out all the time but you know it's all about having anchors like i said like when i'm having a hard day and I, I, you're alluding to this i know you do the same thing when i'm having a really hard day but I feel like there's something that's really stressing me out. I really do stop. I sit down for a minute. Okay, okay look, no one's shooting guns at me right now. Or exactly. if I'm military. Or like, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I've had a hot meal today. <laughs> you know, I'm very fortunate to be here. The biggest problem in my life is I have to do something within hockey today. So I really try and anchor myself 
in those moments and bring myself back to the present moment. And that tends to help things out because, you know, here's the thing, man, like nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 problems that I'm having are really never in the moment, right? There's something I'm worried about from two weeks from now. You know, I'll give you an example. Like, like when, when this whole coronavirus situation started, suddenly I'm faced with like, Hey, can we, can we get wraparounds made? You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, how do we have inventory? So it's one step at a time. And yeah, it got heated at times, but we got the job done together as a team and, yeah. you know, and, and they're available. You know what I mean? So, um, it, it, it's one of those things of, yeah, it's all about perspective and having a good anchor. And, you know, again, I can't stress enough the team around me, you know, that I can, I can lean on any of these people and they can lean on me and we all know it, you know, and that goes back to the analogy I gave you earlier. No, and you nailed that. So I have a nine to five job. I'm a copywriter. And so as a copywriter, you're placed on a team like a designer, account people, uh, development, yep. digital strategy, all these people. And like, there are times where people are just bugging out, like, this isn't going to get done, blah, 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 blah. And I'm always the guy, I'm like, you guys need to relax. Like, it's going to get done. I don't know how yeah. it's going to get done, but we never miss anything. Like, believe a little yeah. bit, right? Like, he, he's going to get his job done. When he, when he has his job done, she's going to get her job done. And it's like that one group, it's, it's easier said than done. But if you can totally. recognize that point where people are starting to get wound up and really just take that step back and just be like, guys, it, it's everything's going to be okay. Listen, it comes right back to trust, right? It comes yeah. all the way back to trust. It, it always does, right? And, and the thing is, like, on a team like that, it's all about, you know, what do you control? Are you focusing on things you don't control? Because that's a large waste of time, right? Focus on what you control. Trust that everybody else is going to do that. And here's the deal. Even if you do fail, the sun's coming up tomorrow. You're going to be alive. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's all. It all comes down to perspective at the end of the day. Yeah, we got a new game tomorrow. It's fine. But uh, So that was the Hockey Wraparound. If you guys get a chance, check that out. It's HockeyWraparound.com. These things are unreal, especially right now during coronavirus time where there are no rinks open and you want to be practicing yeah. with a stick and you don't want to use that $300 one. Well, don't worry about it. Put the Hockey Wraparound on it. That thing will be fresh. I love this. I can't tell you how many times, like, growing up, I'd have, like, a really, really good stick and the boys would want to go play street hockey and I'd be like, am I going to do it? Am I going to use this thing? Like, I don't know if I should. i use it, get home. My dad would scream at me. He's like, I just bought you that stick. What are you doing? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is unreal. Check it out. It's hockeywraparound.com. And this is just the first thing that you do. You also do a podcast. Yeah, well, I, I, I do multiple podcasts, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're just enjoy it. you're the Swiss Army. You're the English Army knife, dude. Is that what, that's what we're <laughs> But uh, yeah, so you have two podcasts, right? I think two. Uh, but you probably yeah, that are out. <laughs> so yeah, you do yeah, we, with a lot of things. Yeah. So you do. We live hockey and geeks who like sports. So let's start with. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Let's start with geeks who like sports. Tell us about this, man, because sure. this sounds good. This sounds like for the Jeopardy lovers out there. Yeah, so this was a passion project that I started with my, my best friend from college. His name is Ray Carcillo, right? Ray lives in Los Angeles. I live in Philadelphia. And Ray works uh, in a lot of different facets of geek media. He's a professional gamer for a long time. Uh, he's worked in sports. He's done everything kind of like me. Um, and we were on the phone for every single day for like a year just talking about comic books or MCU movies and sports every single day for an hour a day, at least towards like the end of the year, I remember starting to say like, man, we should really just make this a podcast and we're having a conversation anyway. It's pretty, it's funny. At least we think it is. Like, why don't we just sit down and just start making a podcast? So um, literally 53 weeks ago today, <laughs> um, we sat down, we recorded an episode and I remember we were like, what would we call this thing? I'm like, well, you know, we're geeks who like sports. Just let's call it geeks who like sports. 
So we did one episode of it, then we did one every week. Uh, we got invited out to PAX West by our 20th episode, which is, for those of you who don't know, a massive gaming convention in Seattle. A massive, like, like Comic-Con level type deal okay. to do a live podcast out there. And it's just grown and grown and grown. And again, this is just something that we figured there has to be other people out there that love sports that are also like big Spider-Man fans. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Like, like, and that we do anything geek related and then sports related. And the way the show works is, I mean, they typically about hour, 15, hour and a half um, in terms of duration now, but half of it's sports, half of it's geekdom. And then we tend to do like a mashup every week. Uh, like, for example, you know the, the basketball documentary right now with Jordan that everyone's talking about, The Last Dance? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so last week we did uh, a mashup of it. If you had to pick one video game character that would get a 10-part documentary series, who would it be and why? Like, this, these are the type of things we discuss on the that's show. A, that's, a good, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, and it's not easy to answer because, you know, people go, oh, it's, you know, like, you know, uh, this guy. And I'm like, well, I mean, could he really hold a 10-part documentary? I was like, you can't pick Link from Zelda because he's been in so many different time periods in, in the world. But I, I think I had a pretty good response. But I, you're your thinking response? about it now. I can see it. I, I chose Little Mac from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Okay. Okay. One of, the, All right. the greatest, one of the greatest underdog stories in the history of gaming. He, he defeated Mike Tyson without Mike Tyson landing a punch <laughs> in his prime. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I don't even know. Like, it, if it's not sports-related, if it doesn't have to be, like, a sports doc, if it was just, like, a doc. It, it doesn't. It can be, I mean, it can be 007, any gaming character, yeah. 007 Goldeneye was, like, unreal a as a kid. Right? Like, we you all imagine, remember the cradle. <laughs> yeah, like, that would be a cradle, good one. I was a big we Sonic. Got a lot, we got a lot of votes for Halo. I mean, for uh, Gears of War. Gears of War got a lot of votes. Ooh, okay. Yep, that was a yeah. good one. I played that a few but times. But you see how easy it is to follow in these conversations? Like, this yeah. is why we, we love doing that podcast, because there's such a diverse audience. Um, and, you know, what's funny is, like, um, it goes both ways. We found out that there was a lot of sports fans that really were into geekdom. But even more surprisingly, there were a lot of geek fans you know, like cosplayers and these people that you never would think, and they love sports. Yeah. Uh, so it's it was it's it's cool to have found that kind of family through that podcast. We I love doing it. It's so fun. I'll definitely have to check that out because now that I'm working from home, I normally just put a podcast on and just like crank out the work. Please so, do. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I'll listen to uh, whatever one you have next. Maybe I'll listen to that. I see you have an NFL draft one up here to preview. We'll yeah, figure it out yeah, that for one sure. Last. So, so that's the geek who likes sports. You also have another one called We Live Hockey, which you've had some pretty cool guests on. You've had Kerry Frazier, Ron Francis, Mike Richter, Brian Trottier. Like, like you've had some pretty elite level talent on your pod. <laughs> what, what, what is your podcast like, man? Like, what type of, uh, what type of stories or lessons can people who are listening to this one go over to yours and be like, okay? Yeah, the, the key is what you just said, stories. So we, we look to tell really good hockey stories. So We Live Hockey, which is a, a total community that we created, uh, spawned from Wraparound. And we wanted to make a, a content network, but we realized pretty quickly, like, we didn't want it to be associated with any brands because we didn't want people to think, like, hey, we're trying to sell you our product, right? Right. Um, so, like, we don't, we, don't, we don't hide on there that, like, hey, I'm the guy from Wraparound or some of the other products that I do, but we don't talk about it a lot. And we wanted to create this community to find, like, really good hockey people and fans, right? right. Like, not the typical, like, I'm not, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but not, like, the toothless, mulleted goon that everybody associates with the game 
or the guy that shows up drunk all the time, like the real passionate hockey fan that loves this and it's part of their DNA. Um, and we started growing this by telling stories. Some of them were in documentary form. Some of them were in humor. We do a show every year called Elimination Cafe, which pretty much answers the question of what would happen if all the teams that got eliminated from the playoffs walked into a bar. Um, we had a lot of success with that. All right. um, but we started doing these documentaries, um, and we realized, like, man, there's a lot of great stories out here that aren't being told. So uh, you said Brian Traccia was one of our guests, and he's probably our first guest. What, what happened with that was he invited – Travis, who's my, 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 oh, absolutely. Okay. Four times Stanley Cup winner, uh, rookie of the year. Uh, Brian Trottier, for those of you who don't know, I mean, he's Hall of Famers. He was ranked top 100 all time. I mean, he's a name, if you don't know him, right? People people on Long Island are going nuts right now. They listen to your show. I mean, I mean he's, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, good, he's good enough where, as a Rangers fan, I could be, I could tip my cap to him. Like, he, absolutely. he was, yeah. He's legendary, right? Yeah. Um, so like before Wayne Gretzky, he's a name you would know all the time. How about that? That's a fair way of looking at it. Um, so he invited Travis and I, so Travis is, is the guy I work with closely on We Live Hockey, who's again, brother of mine. Now, he's my younger brother. If Matt's my older brother, but again, yeah, can't do anything without Travis. Um, and he invited us to come along with him through some business relationships that we had to, uh, Kinemat, British Columbia. I'm going to try and do a mental map for everybody listening. I'm in Philadelphia, which is the East coast. Kinemat, British Columbia is up near the southern part of Alaska. So I'm, I'm traveling across two countries, and I'm on the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> All right? So I had to fly from Philadelphia to Toronto, Toronto to Vancouver, Vancouver on a prop plane up to Kitimat. Now, what we were doing up there is that uh, there was an aboriginal um, uh, 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 reservation uh, called Heisla Nation, okay? And in Canada... The uh, relationships with Aboriginals in the, in the country have really come together finally. Uh, I'll, I'll spare you the, the details, but horrible atrocities were done to these people, and the, 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 the nations and the country are trying to come together. So we were there to right. document Brian Trache bringing hockey to these people and how they're having an outdoor tournament. And this experience changed my life. Wow. Um, a lot of people don't know this. Brian, Brian Trache is an Aboriginal. Right? He, he, he says in the documentary that we were the Indians in town when I was growing up. Um, uh, I didn't know I'll drop the name of those. Yeah, a lot of people don't. And that's the thing. It's like there's stories here that people don't realize. You know, uh, Brian Trachy is probably one of the first Aboriginal players to win the Stanley Cup. You know what I mean? Uh, so it, it, it was an unbelievable uh, story to tell. It's, if you want to look it up, I mean, it's totally free to watch these things. It's called Heisla First Nation. You can find it on Facebook. You can find it on uh, YouTube. But we did this, you know, 15-minute documentary of bringing hockey out to these people. And we really tell the story of those people um, and, and the, the things that they face, which is un, unbelievable um, uh, adversity as a human, human, on a human front. And they were able to overcome that and try and find a way back to work with the Canadian people. And I'll tell you, these people changed the way I view things all right, uh, in terms of how they approach life. It was an unbelievable thing, not to mention British Columbia is very beautiful. Um, I was also joined on that trip by uh, Jordy Oberg, a frequent guest on your show uh, yep. from Ultimate uh, Ultimate uh, Hockey Fan Cave and Blade Chase, another great friend of mine. Um, <clears throat> I had to name drop him, he's going to beat me up later. Um, so when we were there, we sat down with Brian, we did an interview, and what we did was we turned all the scraps of that interview into, into a podcast. And that ended up being our first podcast. And uh, shortly after that trip, we were invited to Eastern Long Island to, to talk about, uh, we did a documentary called uh, The Long Drive. And that had Mark Messier, <laughs> Kerry Frazier, I mean, Ron Francis, all these guys were there. 
um, supporting this cause to grow grow hockey on Long Island, Eastern Long Island, because there's no rinks on the second half of Long Island. So we're with these guys interviewing them as podcast after podcast after podcast, and then I was invited to meet Lou Vero. For those of you who don't know Lou Vero, he is a godfather of American hockey, USA hockey. Um, you know, he's a name. He's in the USA Hockey Hall of Fame. I don't believe the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's, he's a name everyone should know, but they don't. We did a three-part series with him. So the, the goal of the podcast, to answer your question, because I'm talking a lot, was to find influential people to tell really great stories that you might not have heard of, right? And, and you know, just not the common, so what do you think about the game kind of type questions. Not that those aren't important. Uh, but to, to have interviewed guys like Mike Messier, I mean, I'm humbled by it. Um, now, what's funny about this podcast, yeah, I mean, look, we have a lot of fun with this podcast. And I'm, again, I'm honored to sit in front of these guys and do this stuff. Um, when the coronavirus hit, I kind of shifted it a bit. And what I've been doing lately is every Wednesday night at 8 p.m., I go live on the We Live Hockey Facebook page and record it. And we do essentially a topic of the week. Right. And I just riff with the audience. I love it because they can, I get some interaction. Right. It's like a live radio right. show. So so people come on. We have a topic. I let them vote on it every week. We've done everything from why Alex Ovechkin's the greatest goal scorer in the league, why fighting needs to remain in the NHL, uh, you know, every topic like that that I find interesting. Uh, and I, I really dive into the statistics and the history of it. Like it's not just some like, oh, here's my thoughts. It's like I back it up. And this is where like the nerd in me comes out. <laughs> you said I read a lot at the top of the show. You know, this is where all that stuff comes out. And we have a great time, and I've been doing that every week. And um, I always tell the audience at the end of that show, man, that, like, I appreciate them wanting me to do this because it's my escape from COVID land, you know? Like, right. I, I, unlike anybody else, I'm stuck in my house for 40 days now, you know? Like, so um, I love it. I love it. But, yeah, that, that podcast has just been such a great community event and celebration of hockey and, and to tell stories, like, rich hockey stories that people have never heard. And to have the opportunity to do that is, is unbelievable. And that's the whole thing behind We Live Hockey. That's the whole attitude behind it. Who, uh, if you could pick three people that you could interview for your podcast, anybody, who Any, are you picking? Sorry, yeah. Three picking, three people. Uh, we're talking I'd, hockey people, right? Go tip like, for tat with you. You go one, and then I'll go one, and we'll go back and forth. Three people. I would love to talk to Yager Yager. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, I love to talk to I mean, no, the question is, you can ask, what was Britskalov really like? No, I wouldn't ask him that. <laughs> you know, like, uh, Yamir Yaga is probably my favorite player. So, your turn. <laughs> and his work ethic's unreal. I think my first one, Al Michaels would be really cool to interview to talk about the 1980 game covering that and yeah. that whole atmosphere. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen him interviewed. Like, he's normally doing the interviewing. Like, that's a... That's a crime that people aren't asking Al Michaels about, like what what it was like to be him during that time. I think that'd be a cool one. Yeah, well, I'll I'll be the nerd here for you. I've read every book ever written about that team that I could find, and I'll tell you that uh, there's a lot about him in those books. Uh, if you ever see a documentary called "Do You Believe in Miracles," which was on HBO sometime around 1998, you can find it. It's on HBO Go and stuff like that. They interview him a lot in that documentary. Okay, about, like how he came up with the "Do You Believe in Miracles" line. Um, again, I'm just sharing the knowledge with you because it is out yeah. there. <laughs> I want you to see it. Again, I'm a nerd, man. Like I'm a sucker for this. Yeah. No, for sure. Who, uh, who's your second guy? You know, I, I'd like to have this. Is gonna be an unpopular uh, one, but I'd really like to have a candid, meaning that if I had this conversation, he'd have to be a completely open and honest conversation with Gary Bettman. Um, like, 
Contrary to a lot of people, I'm not a hater of Gary Bettman. Um, I think Gary Bettman has done, and this is going to be controversial, I think he's done more for hockey than most people on the planet have. Um, albeit not everything was perfect and not everything was like the right decision. Uh, but I think that, you know, booing the commissioner is just a cliche thing that people do. And I think if people really took a step back and saw what he's done for the game, how the game has grown under his leadership, um, and and also things like, you know, if you dive and again, I'm not going to do this here because it would be boring for a lot of people, but like if you really dived into the lockouts, which were horrendous, just horrible, those aren't as black as white as a lot of people think they are. Um, and, you know, like I can tell you right now, the 2005 lockout, at least from what I've read and studied, like if the NHL didn't stand up for itself in that lockout, there wouldn't be an NHL right now. <laughs> you know, so I'd love to have like some, it, it, again, that would probably be more for me than the audience. I'd just like to have some real in-depth discussion with, you know, like the mind of the commissioner and how he has to make certain decisions that really could make or break the future of the sport. You know, a lot of people don't realize like, that obviously the big, the big um, question facing the league right now is do they continue the season somehow? And especially today, there's been some like really exciting news about how they might do that. But Bettman keeps saying that you know, whatever we do has to be done to respect the, the game. And he's not talking about the NHL. He's talking about the game. You know, the NHL is the leader of the game globally. And, like, you know, when he makes a decision, it affects the game. <laughs> you know, the entire game. So it's I find that fascinating. No, yeah. And I think two things. One, he's a scapegoat. Like, no matter what happens, people are going to get upset. You're the first person to go to. That's why. And then the second thing, everybody is booing them. I would think 95% of the people who are booing them don't even know why they're booing them. They're just booing them because everybody um, else. Right? Like, that's just copycat yeah. league kind of stuff. Now, here's, here's what I would encourage all you listeners to do, all right? Because I can hear you screaming at home. <laughs> is, uh, you know, comment to the show and tell, tell Jimmy here why – you hate him or like him and give good reasons, right? We can have that discussion, right? But, like, like let us know why you really hate really him. Really have this thought. Like, why do you hate It can't be like, why he expanded to the South. Like, that's not a good answer. <laughs> do you know I what I mean? Like, like, you know. Is the Olympics. That would be my only gripe with him is the fact that the sure, NHL. Sure, totally. Other than yeah, that. And, and that was a, yeah, that was a business decision too. Yeah, but I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great answer. I never even thought about that. It would be really cool to sit down and like talk. Like it's almost like you're talking to the president of the United States, except for you're talking to like the president yeah. of fucking hockey. Like you like that would be unreal. It is, yeah. But again, the, the caveat would he, and this is why it would never happen. Like it would be, he'd have to be candid, and and like I said, he 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 would never do that. Like he'd have He's to give the answers. Smart. He has to give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I mean. So like that. That's why I said you asked me fantasy wise. I mean. Look, I wouldn't mind sitting down with Wayne Gretzky. You know what I'm saying? I'm a huge Flyers fan. There's about 10 Flyers I can name right now. I'd love to sit down with. Uh, but Yami Yager is my favorite player. I, you know, I might get a little shaky if I had to sit down with him. I, I'll tell you this answer, too, uh, because this can never happen. Uh, I would do anything to sit down with Herb Brooks, uh, the coach of the 1980 Olympic team, uh, just to talk to him. Uh, God rest his soul. Uh, but, you know, he, him and that team, the 1980 team was such an influence on my life, um, you know, to this day. I mean, it really changed the trajectory of my life, that team. So, like, uh, you know, I'd love to talk to him. We had, uh, we had the guy who played Rizzo on the podcast, I think it was last week. Yeah, or the week yeah. yeah I've met him a few times. Awesome guy. And he was telling us, like, while they were filming the movie, Herb Brooks actually stopped by and, like, said what up to everybody. And, like, when he walked in, everybody was like, oh, my God. 
God, that's Herb Brooks. Like, that would have been a really, really yeah. cool moment. Uh, I think it'd be really cool to talk to a GM, like, especially like a Glenn Sather, just because he was yeah. around in the, the, in the Oiler Cup runs, right? And then he went to the Rangers and he hasn't really won. I, he's still around the Rangers, not the GM anymore, but I would love to know what it would be like just to like be inside like the room on a free agent frenzy or at the NHL yeah. draft or or any sort of like like what type of trades could have happened that didn't happen and like really get the background because yeah. I know a lot of people I think they think the GM just makes trades and signs people there's a lot more to that job than just that and I think it'd be really really yeah. cool to really dive into that yeah I'll tell you you know I've been a GM of a team before and I've been around GMs I've interviewed GMs uh, it's it's a job again like you said people don't understand the full context of what these guys do and again, like this is another, and this is kind of a warning. You know, when you get into hockey operations or you really work in the game, uh, you you just slowly start to lose fandom a bit. And what I mean by that is, I grew up a huge Flyers fan, and I still am a huge Flyers fan. But it's not like I hate other teams like I did when I was a kid. Now, you know, right? Like, like worked with a lot of these teams, so I know people on these teams. It's become a very very professional uh, endeavor. But uh, here's what I'll tell you about trades because you brought it up. One of the things people don't realize about trading or signings or things like this is that GMs are not trying to screw each other over typically, you know, like they're trying to make a deal that benefits both teams. Now, if one GM is given the opportunity to take advantage of another GM because they know the GM's offering something dumb, I mean, they're going to do that. I mean, that's that's advantageous. But most decisions GMs make are to benefit each other. So, like I always say this, like if you play an NHL 20 or 19 because 20 is really bad, you know, like and you're making these stupid offers for trades and you can't understand why the other guy's not taking them because it doesn't benefit. You know, if you make a good trade, they'll take it. So some of it comes into, you know, uh, personalities, talent, filling gaps. Like we talked about filling gaps in, in life, in business. A hockey team is no different. You know, like, uh, you know, having a good, strong fourth line center is a position. And a lot of people got to realize most players in the NHL, most, a majority are very expendable. When it comes to your roster, there's a handful of players in the league that are like, I can't trade that guy, right? You guys all, everyone knows who they are, right? But like, let's be honest, most third line right wingers are very tradable, (laughs) you know? So finding the right pick for your team is not an easy thing to do. Um, And, you know, and so forth and so on. So so the craft of being a GM is something that's unbelievably complex and fascinating, like you just said. So, yeah, if if you ever get the chance to sit down with one of those guys, you should totally do it. Yeah, and I think one of my favorite things is if a GM makes a move or something, there's a lot of these, like, analytic stat people who, yeah. like, bug out, bug out when somebody's traded because somebody's course is not as good as somebody else's. And it'd be it'd – be, I think sometimes the whole impact of the locker room is – it's just forgotten about. And I feel like people yeah. look at crooked because you can't put a statistic on that. Like, you can't tell me how valuable this guy is in the locker room giving me a stat. Like, you can't. You have to be there. You have to be around yeah. it. And there, there's players. The Rangers had Tanner Glass on the on the team for a couple of years, and like he he may not have been the best player, but like he stuck up for his teammates. And I'm sure everybody loved him in the locker room. Same with Mark Stahl. I hate Mark Stahl, but he's still on the team. There's got to be a reason <laughs> Mark Stahl's still on the team. You know what I mean? So like diving yeah. into that, I think would be cool. Well, and I'll, and I'll tell you this two things. Like like you just said, not, I love stats. I do actually love analytics and stuff like that, but it's not the whole picture. You know, the personality is another huge part of it. So I'll give you a great Rangers example. You're interested. Look what happened to Sean Avery when he left the Rangers, right? Like, like, like again, we're talking 10 years ago. Sean Avery was built well for the Rangers team of that time period. And as soon as you put him on, on Dallas, it felt miserable. 
right? Yeah. You know, so it, it's like there's different players that work in different places. Um, Henrik Lundqvist could not be the goalie anywhere but New York. Like, he's, he's built for New York City, right? I mean, right. it won't be there anymore, but, you know, like, like yeah, certain players, you know, you know, like, you look at Toronto. Like, if you play in Toronto, you better be prepared to be a New York Yankee because that's what the yeah. Leafs are. It's very different being on the Toronto Maple Leafs than Barry being on the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> Some people can't deal with that type of stress. You know, Eric Lindros is a great example. He was a phenomenal player. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, probably never should have been the captain of the team. You know, he just he wasn't built for that environment. Um, I think he said that. Like, he, he didn't really want that that uh, responsibility. You know, he took it, right? And it's a really that's, that's kind of what Yager, when Yager was on the Rangers. Like, I don't think yeah. he really wanted to be. I remember shootouts. Our team was we, – we had, like, three people, and then there was a huge falloff. But in shootouts, Yager didn't want to go in a shootout. And people were like, what? Why no. doesn't Yager want to shoot? It's like, he just doesn't want to shoot. They're going to foul Eric Christensen. He's going to go back. <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that go into those decisions. And you know, like if you think about the best captains, you know, they're not always the best players. Not you had you had the greatest captain in the history of the league in Messi Day, so it's tough for Rangers. But here's the thing: I remember when Chris, Chris Drury was captain. He was a good captain for a while. You know, you you know, you, you guys had a lot of good captains. We're not the best player on the team. You know what I mean? So you know, I, I remember Keith Primo was one of my favorite captains in Philadelphia. Like you, you guys know his name. You know what I mean? Like he's just yeah. the hardest worker on the team. So, it's not always the best player, especially if you're a youth hockey player. The, be- the best player doesn't always deserve it. You know, if he's the hardest worker, he does. But, right. yeah, it, team dynamics are something I really love. And, again, you know I work in that, that field. So yeah. I love you, going into a team environment and trying to make pieces fit together. I love that. I love the captains who aren't the best player on the team. I, like, I love yeah. those guys specifically. Like Nick Felino, Nails. Scott Mellenby back in the day, Nails. Like, yeah. those guys go to war. Uh, Scott Melby killed a rat with a hockey stick, and that's why they throw rats on the yeah. ice. And, like, yeah. he, he's yeah. that. 1996, man. <laughs> that was my favorite team growing up. I loved uh, John Van Beesbrook because of his mask. He had, like, that brick wall mask. It was unreal. Yeah, man. I hope the Panthers can find their way. They, you know, they've been there a long time, and they haven't had a lot of success. I mean, they had one playoff run since 96. Yeah. And, uh, like, they have, I'll tell you what, they have the pieces in place to be good, but it is really tough to be serious when you're in Miami. <laughs> I'll tell you, that, so. you nailed that. But guys, get a chance, check it out. It's We Live Hockey. Uh, they're on pretty much every platform, according to the website. I think you can find them anywhere. So check those guys out. Actually, one last thing before we dive into uh, Game Seven group. What was it like talking to Mike Richter? Because he's my favorite goalie of all time. Oh, and a oh, lot of man. people are like, great. Is it Henrik or Mike Richter? And I get a lot of heat for this, but I always choose Richter because he won a cup. I know Henrik Lundqvist is an unbelievable athlete, but like Mike Richter during that '94 run, I mean, just watch yeah. that save he made on Pavel Bore, dude. Like yep. he was. Yep. So what was it like talking to him? I know he's like super educated and like really down to earth. He is one of the most fun people I've ever spoken to in my life. Now here's the funny thing about Richter too. So we're both tied to him. So he grew up in a town called Wissahickon which is maybe 20 minutes from where I'm at right now. So he grew up actually a Flyers fan. He grew up in Philadelphia. And he admitted that on the podcast, which I couldn't believe he said. You know, because I'm like, Rangers fans will not be able to handle that. <laughs> but he grew up this big Flyers fan in the 70s. So he grew up with the Broad Street Bullies. Uh, he is so fun. I mean, he was joking the whole interview, but he, he could get serious if he needed to. I mean, talk about a personality. This guy should be on TV, right? And here's the The reason he's not on TV is because he's got a master's degree and he's doing, like, a lot of good for the world, right? Yeah. Uh, but one of the most fun things – and here's the cool thing about him. 
Um, I was with him with uh, Grant Marshall from the Devils and Messier and Francis. So I got to see him around some of his old adversaries and teammates, which even upped it to a whole nother level because they were just acting like they were in the locker room, right? Like, right. I'll, I'll put it this way. There's so much stuff that I couldn't put out in the podcast because that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's things like I just couldn't put out just because of the confidentiality of it. But to watch them, and then they, they kind of invited us in the conversation. And uh, um, I did get to ask him about Gritty, which was great. You know, like, what do you think of Gritty? He's like, come on, Gritty. But, uh, yeah, he was super fun. Um, and I'll tell you this, too. Like, like people should never ask Lundqvist or Richter. It's a super unfair question to ask. Uh, to, yeah, Richter won a cup. So, yeah, he has the edge in terms of that. But what Lundqvist has done so much for that city and that team. It, the, the tragedy of Lundqvist is that he never won a cup with that team because they all, except for one year, never gave him the pieces to do it. I had to say that. And I'm a Flyers fan saying that. No, it's it's true, man. Like any other goalie playing in New York when Henrik Lundqvist was playing in New York, I don't know how many times we went made even made the playoffs. Like he yeah, he's, he was unbelievable and a good human being. I've met him multiple times. Just a good guy. And that 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 2014 final was a lot closer than people realize. There's oh my three god, overtime game there. Saying that, yes, dude, they're all like one yeah. goal games. The people are hitting goalposts yeah. and shit. When you look at it, it's yeah. like oh the Kings won and however many I think it was five. But it wasn't that. It was a lot tighter. No. I, it, it, here's the thing. I remember the, the first game I think the Kings won. Uh, but the, the, I remember you hit a post in overtime and you hit a post in the next game. So, listen, I'm not taking anything away from the Kings. They were those, – those two years that they won were two of the best playoff years I've ever seen a team go through. So, all, all credit to the Kings. But the Rangers didn't get – like, people, they got swept by – killed by the, – they did not get killed by the Kings. I mean, it was a close series. And you're talking one goal a game. That Dwight King goalie interference would have changed the entire fucking series. I look back on it. Totally. So, yeah. And it's just, it's it's a shame, like I said, because that was a closer series than people realize. I, I always tell people that. So I'm, I'm glad that you like that because it's true. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, and then no. just last thing, last thing on the menu, tell us a little bit about Game 7 Group. This thing looks fucking cool. What we do, speaking, uh, <laughs> consulting, nonprofit business, medical team training, training camp. This this is this is legit. Tell us about this. Yeah, so Game Seven Group's kind of the culmination of everything that I do between business, hockey, team building, coaching, playing, and everything. So uh, it kind of houses all of my professional work. So as you said, I do a lot of professional public speaking. Organizations have me come in, or awards have me come in to do motivational speaking um, on a variety of different topics. Uh, the two books that I've written kind of are housed under that. And essentially what happens is businesses call me now or have me come in or sports teams. I work in both and they have me come in to help fortify or build their team bond um, after I've convinced them that it's essential that they have that if they want to succeed. And, you know, I would say like winning is defined in a lot of different ways. Winning could be hitting a sales goal. Winning could be winning a championship. Winning could be turning a horrendous program around. It doesn't matter. Winning could be graduating players from an underserved community, you know, and, and, the team bond is essential to doing that. So all of my work in that organization is focused on that team bonding and building and finding ways to really spread that message out to anybody. Because these these team teams exist everywhere. Your family is a team. Your business is a team. Your school is a team. It doesn't it keep going on here forever. And I think that especially right now with the way the world is, really for the last you know four or five years. Um, people really need to come back together. And it, 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 no matter where you are politically or, you know, financially, it doesn't matter to me. You know, I think we all do yearn to actually be together. 
Um, if anything, with coronavirus, it's shown us that like I, I know introverts that thought this would be great and they need to be around people now. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like like I love being the person that brings people together and then being part of whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. It. Every time that happens, it's like a little bit of a miracle to me. Um, yeah. And the, all the projects within that scope go right under game center. And again, it's another company I'm just fortunate that you know I was able to create and. People like it. <laughs> people people enjoy what we do. It makes sense because you have coaches for individual talents, whether it be like, oh, if you're a golfer or you need a skills coach to help you work on your hands, you have all these coaches for like the individual. You need a little bit of coaching for the team, dude. Like yeah. you're only as strong as like your weakest player. And yeah. bringing that bond in, it's so important. And again, I played on sports teams where we haven't done team bonding and have done team bonding. And the team bonding is just like, you need it. It's not, oh, should we have it? It's like, yeah, that should be second nature, no-brainer yeah. type stuff. Well, I, I'll tell you this, and I'll loop back to something you said earlier in the show, which was that you know a lot of people don't realize that they need this. And that I, I find that is so true, by and large, with most organizations. You know, I, I think, and I say this a lot, you, you need three things to win. You have to have three things that are present to win, right? You have to have uh, the talent, right? You have to have the talent that's comparable to win. So you have to have good people this is again sports or business. You have the people that can can execute the job. Then you have to have tactics, right? Great talent can't overcome bad tactics. It's not possible. Right. You've seen this in the Edmonton Oilers for years. <laughs> All right. So you know you have to have good good people in place that make good tactics. Again, sports, it's coach, it's managers and business. The third thing is a team bond, right? The bringing together. Now, if there's three things, that means each one of those things to get 33.3 percent of the time, right? Just putting my nerd glasses for right. And I find that if, if, if most teams don't spend any time on team bonding, and some spend maybe 5%, and when I talk to a coach or a business, I say, you know, like in reality, you should be spending 30% of your time on this, 30%. They think I'm crazy. They really do. I said, look, we're not going to do that because I understand how business works, but yeah, you need to be up at like a quarter of the time. Like once a week, you need to be doing something. Once a week, not once a quarter, not once a season, once a week to fortify that bond. And every organization I've worked with has found success doing this. And again, it's not just me alone. The people have to buy in, right? I always say that. Like, I'm bringing the tools, but if you don't, if you don't buy in, it doesn't matter. It's a great exactly. old adage, you know, if you bring a horse to water, you can't make them drink. They have to choose to drink the water, right? So, you know, that's the key to the whole thing for me is just introducing the concept, building the initial bond, and then maintaining the bond, which I told you, that's, the, that's actually the hard part. Um, you know, it, on a sports team, I tell coaches this. You could have 22 guys on a team, all right, one year and win. And the next year have the exact same 22 people on that team. It's a different team. You need to treat differently. You need to approach it differently. Because life happens. Everyone's a year older. You don't know what happened to them during that year. A sports season, a business season, a fiscal cycle is a living thing. And it's always evolving. How are you prepared for that? Most people just don't have an answer. No, yeah. And I think you nailed it, dude. Like whether it be coaching or just like regular type stuff, business, whatever, like you need that. Yeah. Cause without that, I mean, you're, I, w I was brought up to do everything at the best of your ability. And yeah. if you're skipping out on 33.3% of something that is, is major, you're, you're not really doing it at all. So yeah. I think awesome. Uh, Thanks, I mean, Appreciate no, you're doing a great job, dude. Uh, again, guys, if you're listening, Hockey wraparound, check those guys out. If you're playing street hockey, hopefully you guys are because you have some sort of hockey fix in your life. You're going to need one of those. Uh, geeks who like sports, I'm definitely going to check that out this week. I'll definitely get back to you. <laughs> that. 
Uh, we live hockey for a different perspective. And uh, Game 7 group, if you guys are looking to get, you know, tying up the ship a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we. I mean, we're an hour and ten minutes. I appreciate you coming on. Do you have anything else for our listeners? Uh, yeah, why don't we do a giveaway or something like that? Let's give a wraparound away. I'm happy to okay. do that. One of our off-ice kids. What do, you, what do you think they should have to do? Because if they made it this far in the podcast, they deserve to get a little contest. What do you uh, think they should have to do to win a wrapper and off-ice kit? They need to tweet or contact us why they like or dislike Gary Bettman. And we, <laughs> and legitimate answer. Best answer wins a, a free hockey wraparound. And I will promise you all of you right now, if if I or Jimmy don't if we disagree with your answer, that will not disqualify you. If you make a good point, <laughs> strong point, I will. I, I'm all about that. All right. So I'm not just looking for people to be like, he's great. Give me a good reason why you hate this guy or love this guy. Yeah, I'll give away a uh, hockey wraparound off ice kit, which is a wraparound, uh, uh, a green biscuit, and a roll of tape because you're supposed to tape the wraparound up all the way when you're using it. I have to say that, or Matt, Matt, the guy's literally going to pop in. <laughs> this has been great, man. I appreciate the time. No, thanks for hopping on, man. And again, Gary Bettman, sending your answers. Uh, Lee, thanks for stopping by. And guys, we'll see you next week.